Amen. Thanks, Josh, and uh, good morning, church. I'm going to turn this just a little bit. So, how do you respond to conflict in life? Uh, perhaps uh, you're one that when conflict comes your way, uh, you dig in your heels and you fight. Uh, that's, that's your posture. You're ready to fight at the sign of conflict, and, uh, and that's just how you see life as a, as a battlefield. Uh, perhaps there's others of us in here that uh, rather than fighting, uh, we take flight. Uh, in fact, if we just even smell some fear or, or smell some conflict or some difficulties, we want to run in the other direction. Uh, perhaps there's other, others of us that have more maybe a, um, a fatalistic point of view when difficulties come our way and we have this kind of, uh, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, you know, it is what it is and we just kind of go with it. How do you deal with conflict? Maybe one of those three ways. Uh, you can relate to that in different situations, circumstances in your life. James has a different perspective for us. He's, he's got a better way for us uh, as we learn in his letter to the church. Uh, and today we want to pick up our series uh, in the book of James. We've been working through that for a number of weeks, but the last two weeks, of course, we, uh, we took a break from that series. And of course, because of our Easter uh, season, we looked at Palm Sunday two weeks ago. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday. And, uh, and so it was just a powerful weekend, powerful last two weeks that we have had together, re- remembering Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. Uh, today we want to pick up in chapter 5 of James, beginning at verse 13 and, and going to the end of uh, 18. Uh, and then we're going to take a little bit of a break again because we've got some other things going on in our church calendar. And then we will pick it up again uh, May 22nd, and we want to finish up the book of James uh, with the last two verses because there's just so much gold uh, in those last two verses, and it's uh, so important to, to be able to take time just to, to, to unpack that a little bit more. Uh, but James, uh, in this section that we're going to read about this morning and we're going to look into, he begins to close his letter in the same way that he began his letter, and that is... He calls us to prayer. Uh, Let's read what James has to say, starting in verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Did you notice that in every verse in this passage has the word prayer in it? I think I bolded it uh, on the PowerPoint slide. So what we get from that is that prayer is an obvious focus of James. Uh, Prayer is an essential tool in the genuine believer's life. James's purpose, as we have learned through the whole book, is his desire is for us to live faithfully 
as followers of Jesus Christ, to take the teachings of Jesus and to apply them into our lives on a day-to-day basis. And so here, again, James is stressing to us that genuine faith makes prayer a priority. Here's my simple outline for this morning. In the closing words that James uses, he says, here is effective prayer. And then he outlines for us when, how, and why we pray. When should we pray? James says we should pray in times of trouble. Some of your translations, uh, the ESV, I believe it is, uses the word suffering instead of the word trouble. And, and in the Greek, it's the same word. Um, and it makes sense that James would kind of lead off with this, that we should pray when we are in trouble because he's just read and we just learned uh, the pre- from the previous section about praying and having patience in our suffering. And so in times of trouble means that We should go to prayer when we are going through times that require us to have perseverance. That we need to have patience in our trials and in our trouble. Instead of grumbling like we learned about in verse 9. Instead of grumbling, our words should be words of prayer. And with that connection in verse 10, as an example of patience, he he talks about the prophets there who displayed patience when they faced suffering. And so perhaps James is saying to us today and encouraging us that we need to pray for endurance when we go through trouble. Maybe rather than deliverance from it. Maybe we need to pray for patience and endurance through our trials. Again, he seems to be coming back around to to where he began in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 when he spoke about trials and the need for us to persevere through our trials. When we don't know how to go on, when we want to give up, when we want to give in, we go to the one who does know how to get us through. Last week, again, in our Easter season, Good Friday service, we heard about Jesus' last words on the cross when he said, it is finished. And we learned... In the life of Jesus that he finished, that he endured, that he completed all of the things that the Heavenly Father asked him to do. And what we learned in that service was that Jesus Christ is a finisher, that he persevered through incredible sufferings in his life. And so James is encouraging us here as well, saying prayer is absolutely critical in the midst of our trials Because it's in the midst of these trials, as we persevere through them, that we are developing our spiritual maturity. That we will become complete in our faith, not lacking anything. That doesn't mean that we don't ask and pray for deliverance. Because exactly in the midst of our trial, God might be waiting for the opportunity to show himself powerful in the midst of our trials. But James says to us, in the midst of our trials, yes, pray for deliverance, sure. But also pray for perseverance. Pray for patience and the strength to endure through your trials. Uh, This last Thursday in our men's uh, prayer meeting, uh, John Bamman told the story of a young boy who was fidgeting during the service. 
And even though his father had told him time and time again to stop fidgeting and to just sit still and to pay attention, the boy couldn't stop fidgeting. And so he kept fiddling and finally the father had had enough. And so he took his son over his shoulder and he began to walk down the aisle to the back of the sanctuary. And the little boy, while he was over his father's shoulder, exclaimed to the rest of the congregation, pray for me. I can relate to that little boy. <laughs> you know what? Most of us don't need to be told to pray when we are in trouble. When things are out of our control. When things are out of our power. But we can turn to the one who is all-powerful. And James says that is good. When you are in trouble, pray to the one who is in control. If you read through the book of Psalms... You see that the Psalms are full of prayers that are offered in in desperate times. And the psalmist would assure us that God hears our prayers and he meets our needs. As as I was looking at times of trouble in my life, times of trouble in your lives as well, I wonder if there are a couple times, and I could identify a couple times in my own life where perhaps um, in my trouble I don't want to go to prayer. I don't want to go to the Lord in prayer or or I hesitate to go to the Lord in prayer because perhaps I am covered with shame. Because perhaps the trouble that I'm experiencing in my own life is because of my own actions. I think if you are in that situation and when I am in that situation as well, I think James would want to remind us that God is full of compassion. Even when that trouble is our own actions, James says, we, have, we serve a God who is compassionate. I think there are other times when I'm in trouble, perhaps when we are in trouble. We might not go to God because of our own pride and our own arrogance in our lives. Uh, that we want to trust in our own strength. That we want to trust in our own resources. That, hey, you know what, maybe I got myself into this mess, so I will work myself out of this mess as well. We have this kind of attitude, perhaps, that says, you know what, I got this. I can handle this. I can do this on my own. And so it's our arrogance and in our pride, James would speak to that and he would say, humble yourself. Submit to God, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Again, I think what James is driving at here is that no matter the reason for our troubles, James would say, pray. Pray. In fact, don't just go to God when you are in trouble, when you're facing times of trouble. A second thing he would say is, go to God in prayer when you are happy. Is anyone happy, James says, or cheerful, as the ESV says? Then let them sing songs of praise. Pray in times of blessing. The word for happy It refers to a cheerfulness of heart or a sense of well-being regardless of our circumstances. Uh, That's how it's often used in the scriptures. But I think here in this specific uh, verse, James has in mind to be happy or, or, or when you're cheerful is a contrast to being in trouble. Trouble when things are going difficult or difficult in our lives 
when we are happy, when we're blessed, when there's a smooth sailing going on in our lives, when, when things are good in life, James says, in that time, sing songs of praise. James's point here is to say, listen, remember God not just when you're in crisis, but remember God when things are going good. Let them sing songs of praise. James says, don't forget God in the good times. We thank God by singing songs of praise because praise is directed to our Heavenly Father. Singing is actually a form of prayer. Did you know that? In fact, every Sunday as we gather together as a body of believers, uh, we apply this verse without even knowing it, perhaps. We sing in worship not just to create a mood, not just to create an atmosphere here. We don't just sing songs this morning so that we can stand and stretch our legs a little bit. We don't just sing songs so that we can get a break in between all the talking that goes on. But we sing songs because our songs are a form of prayer. Love the music that Danny had planned for today. I love how Brandon puts a lot of time and energy into planning the songs that we sing every Sunday. He pours over the theology of the songs for us to sing. And they are a type of prayer for us. Because as we pray, as we sing those songs, our minds are drawn to our Heavenly Father. Our minds are drawn to our Savior. And so we should be singing with joyful, in joyful worship, not mundane. And by nature, our, the music, it allows us to come together as a body of believers to praise God in unity together. There are times when I come to the service, believe it or not, when I'm not very happy. Anybody relate to that? There are times when I maybe come on a Sunday morning and I, you know what, I don't actually want to sing very much. My heart is not there. Perhaps my heart is broken that morning. Perhaps I am hurting that morning. But just to be here in the service and to be able to listen, maybe I'm not even singing, but I can hear the other congregants around me, the other brothers and sisters in Christ singing to God. Your singing lifts my heart. My heart. Your singing lifts my spirit. And God uses your singing and uses the singing and the songs and the prayer to lift our spirits. Why is it important to sing songs in good times? Because in praising God in the good times, we are recognizing that He is the source. We acknowledge our dependence on God for all that we have. Remember in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from the Father of light, from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I think that's what Moses had in mind too when he warned the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, when you have eaten and you are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. 
You see, Moses was concerned that the Israelites too would become proud, that they would give themselves credit for all the blessings and they would stop giving thanks to God when things were going good in their lives. And so church, let us be quick to praise God for our good times, just as we are quick to call on Him when we face difficult times. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so we pray to God when we're in trouble. We pray to God when, when we are happy, when things are good. James points to a third way and a third time that we are to pray. He says, is anyone among you sick? Then let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And so he says, pray when you are sick. Pray in times of sickness. That word for sickness... It can refer to times of weakness, uh, times when we're physically weak, when we're spiritually weak, when we're emotionally weak. It could be used to uh, suggest that we are weak in our faith, in our conscience, uh, weak in our strength. But here in this context, it seems like James is referring more specifically to when we have physical illness. And James says to us, our immediate response should be to go in prayer. Are you in trouble? James says, pray. Are you happy? Are you sick? James says, pray. No matter what our circumstances are, James says, it is always right, it is always appropriate to pray. And then he turns his attention from when we should pray to how we should pray. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The first thing I get from James here is that we need to involve others in our prayer life. Hmm. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, we are a body and we belong to one another. And so how do we involve others? Oh, when we ask our life group to pray for us. When we ask a brother or sister to pray for us because we're going through this trouble or we're going through some good times or when we're sick, we invite others into that. Because when we are asked to pray for someone or when we demonstrate that and we ask for others to pray for us, it demonstrates an attitude of submission to one another. It demonstrates a submission to God and to each other. It demonstrates that every believer in Christ is part of God's church, that we need each other, that we are responsible to one another and we are responsible for one another. And that's why we encourage, that's one of the reasons why we encourage everyone to get involved in a life group that we would be caring for each other and we would also receive that care in addition to our thursday or to our life group uh, i want to put a little plug in for our thursday morning prayer prayer team 
We have men and women that gather together every Thursday morning at 9.30 in the morning to pray through a list of prayer requests that you as a congregation have submitted to them. I so appreciate our prayer teams. I so appreciate the time that they would take and the, uh, the, the priority that they would make for that in their lives. That they take big and small prayer requests to the Lord. Some of the prayer requests that are on that list, they are short-term prayer requests. Others of those are long-term. And it's year after year after year. And so I would encourage you as a congregation, I don't know if you're aware that our Thursday prayer team meets together like that, but if you have prayer requests, I would encourage you to call the church office, let them know what your prayer request is, and you can be confident that our Thursday morning prayer team is going to pray for you. On the other hand, I would say this. For some of you, you may have time to join the prayer team Thursday morning. And then I would encourage you and invite you to come Thursday morning to pray, to join the other uh, prayer team members in praying for the needs that have been presented before us. How do we involve others? We ask people to pray. Verse 14, James says, Call the elders of the church. Uh, this specifically was, was more about physical illness than about the other general prayers that were going on. In this situation, the elders would be called forward or they would be called to the home of the sick person and they would pray over them and they would anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Um, we don't have uh, an office of elders, per se, here at SEMC, but we do have many spiritually mature people in our congregation. And our spiritually mature people have been called at various times to go and pray over somebody and to anoint them with oil when that request has been made to us, when it's been made known to us. In fact, as recently as yesterday, we had a group of mature spiritual leaders pray over a congregant because the congregant had asked for that. And it is such a beautiful thing to gather together and to pray over a person and to anoint them with oil. In Scripture, that oil was, was both a medicine, but it was also a symbol, a symbol of the Spirit of God. And so it may have been a sign of the power of prayer, but it may have also been symbolizing being set apart on behalf of the sick person for God's special attention. And so how should we pray? James says we should involve each other. We should involve each other. In other words, when you get together as your life group, when you get together perhaps in your Sunday school uh, group and, and the leader asks, does anyone have a prayer request? Anybody in trouble? Anybody happy? Anybody sick? I don't think anybody in that room should say, no, not me. It's all good. Okay? Unless we are not being transparent with one another or perhaps if everything is running smoothly in your life perhaps in that moment you should break out in song yeah how should we pray we involve others and then James says in verse 14 that we should pray in the name of the Lord when we pray in the name of the Lord it's not just something that we tack on to the end of our prayer in Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. 
No, no, we're not just throwing the name of Jesus around. Uh, We're not misusing the name of the Lord. What we are doing in that situation, because the name of the Lord is a powerful name, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. When we pray in his name, we are submitting to his authority over our lives. When we say, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we are far more interested in his name being honored, far more interested in his name being glorified than we are about our own comfort. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we pray that his name would be honored and his name would be glorified. And when we pray in that way, we can expect great things in our prayers. Yeah, pray in the name of the Lord. And, and then James says, and we should pray in faith. What does that mean to pray in faith? It means that we are praying and asking for what he approves of. Sometimes in our lives, we pray for things that actually might not be part of God's will. It may not be his will for us in our lives. And so in Scripture, we see many examples of people who are of great faith, and yet they didn't always get what they asked for. I see in Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses pleaded with the Lord to let him go into the promised land, but the answer came back, no. That's not what's going to happen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when we read when Paul pleaded three times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed, God says, nope, for my grace is sufficient for you. And so God had other plans for Paul in his life. And so it wasn't because of a lack of faith on Moses' part. It wasn't because of a lack of faith on Paul's part. James 1 verses 6 to 8, we read this, but when you ask... You must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. A person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Hmm. That can be a troubling verse. But I believe James wasn't saying that we can't have some uncertainty when we pray. We can't, he's not saying that we can't have some uncertainty when we pray about how God will answer our prayers. The lack of faith, I think James was talking about here, was about wavering back and forth between being completely surrendered and dependent on God one moment, but then relying on our own strength the next. Praying in faith, it means that we would believe without question that God can heal. That we have an all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing God who is infinitely capable of meeting our needs. While at the same time, recognizing His will and His sovereign purpose is supreme. It's about praying with absolute confidence that God will answer as He knows best. And submitting to it even though what we pray for doesn't turn out exactly how we had hoped for. Does that mean that we pray tentatively? No. Hebrews chapter 4, 16 encourages us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. 
to come boldly before the Lord, to come boldly before his throne, to ask big things of God because he is a big God. James 4 verse 2 says this, you don't have because you do not ask God. Let's not, not have because we didn't think to ask God for it. I wonder sometimes if, if um, we think that we need to protect God and so and we need to protect his reputation and so we just pray small prayers. We just pray for easy things so that we would ensure that God would answer those and so that we can have confidence in him. And I think God says, come on, pray bigger prayers. And so church, let's pray big ask prayers, right? What is the big ask that you're going for, right? We pray big ask prayers prayers and then we leave room for God to answer as he knows best you know what it's not it's obvious that God doesn't always heal it's not always God's will to heal in our lives otherwise none of us would never would ever die but the major part of prayer while it rests in God's hand as sovereign God we too have a responsibility in prayer and that is vital if we expect him to act. What is our role? Praying in faith requires not just being in the faith, in relationship with God as a true believer, but also living by his principles of that faith. To live in holiness, to, to being quick to confess and repent of sin in our lives, to repent, to turn from the sin in our lives. Which leads us to the final point about how we should pray, and that is this, that we pray with a pure heart. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so we need to pray with a pure heart. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. We have seen throughout the book of James, he has addressed many different issues in our lives. Issues like favoritism and ignoring the needs of others. He's uh, addressed issues of gossip in our lives about fighting and envy and greed and, and mistreating people. He has shown all of these different areas in our life because we need to confess these things and to seek forgiveness from our Heavenly Father and sometimes from each other in this as well. And perhaps that is our situation in our lives too. Maybe that is true of our relationships. Maybe some of our prayers in our lives are ineffective because we actually need to go to God and we need to confess some of this sin in our lives. We need to admit where we have wronged somebody. And we need to put ourselves in the place of purity where God can hear our prayers and that allows God to restore our relationships, to re restore the relationships in our families, maybe to restore some relationships even here among our brothers and sisters, and so that he can respond to our prayers. And so how do we pray? We pray by involving others. We pray in the name of the Lord. We pray in faith, and we pray with a pure heart. And then after James has instructed us when we should pray and how we should pray, he closes with a very direct why we should pray. 
And he says, because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, for James, being righteous is more than just being in right standing through faith in Jesus Christ. What James has been driving at through this whole book is that faith works. Genuine faith is practical. It's a life that is marked by right actions that comes from a pure heart. It's the kind of person whose prayers, uh, it, it is that kind of person whose prayers are powerful and effective. And so we pray because it changes us. We pray because it benefits us. It, we pray because it brings spiritual and physical restoration. We pray because it glorifies God when He does amazing things in response to our prayers. James uses Elijah as a case in point. And I would just want to close with this. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. You see, God warned the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that if they had strayed from him, he would stop the rain. And so the drought was because of Ahab's evil. You can read this uh, story also in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, I believe it is. But the drought because of Ahab's uh, evil, glorified God because it honored God's word. A three-year drought, and then the rain produced a crop on cue with Elijah's prayer. That is an incredible reminder to you and I that God uses prayer to meet our needs and to bring himself glory. All the other miraculous events that are associated with Elijah's Mount Carmel, Carmel experience, Caramel, huh, thinking about ice cream, Mount Carmel experience reveal that God powerfully answers the prayers of ordinary people. And so James says in verse 17, he makes the point that Elijah was a man just like us. That's an encouraging statement. For us who are ordinary people, we can expect extraordinary things from God if we pray with a pure heart. And so we pray. Prayer is always a right response. Whether we're in trouble, whether we're happy, whether we need healing, we pray with a pure heart, trusting in God. A heart that is surrendered to Him with a genuine concern for others. And so we pray because it is powerful and it is effective and it glorifies God. Imagine, church, what we would be like if prayer was the priority that God expects it to be in our lives. If we would be transparent with one another, if we would confess our sin to one another, if we felt the freedom and the willingness to share our struggles with one another, and we would devote ourselves to praying for one another. Not just you giving your prayer requests to me, but me giving my prayer requests to you. 
not just for you to pray for the other people in your life group, but for you to also be transparent with the people in your life group to ask them to enter into and to pray for you as well. Because you need it and I need it. That's what God wants from His church. A place where ordinary people can experience extraordinary things when we pray. And so let us pray because genuine faith makes prayer a priority.